KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Yes, good morning and welcome along to KCL or live. It is Wednesday the 9th of August already. Um, it's just gone uh, four minutes past 10 o'clock this morning. I'm with you until 12. Between now and 12, we have uh, lots of uh, diverse topics to discuss. Just after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to Neve Murphy from the Amber Women's Refuge because yesterday Roger O'Gorman announced, I mean, it had been sort of coming for a while, but the domestic pay, uh, domestic violence leave was due to start in autumn probably October, November time. Um, But we were unsure as to the rate that that pay would be delivered at, and it was confirmed yesterday that it will be at 100% of a person's daily uh, pay rate for a maximum, I believe, of five days. Neve Murphy from Amber Women's Refuge will be joining us to tell us, does she think that's enough? Does she think it's a good start? Or at least are we moving in the right direction? Also, Niall Hatch of Boardwatch Island, he's joining us around about half past 11. Because yesterday I was looking at a piece in one of the newspapers that talked about how um, Birdsong and bird sound was so good for our mental health in terms of relaxing us and controlling us and calming us. I'll be telling you in a few minutes time, what's my favourite bird song? I've got a little snippet of it to play for you as well. Text and WhatsApp lines are open on 083 306 9696. What is your favourite bird song? Hmm... Well, if you don't like, if you don't have the audio of the bird, you can just let us know what the bird is, and we'll see if we can find it for you and we'll play it. And I'm going to play a little bit of my favourite bird song to try and relax you all this morning. It's a wood pigeon. I tell you why, because when we were kids, we used to go camping with the family down in Wicklow, and there's always a sensible camper would stick the tent near a hedge grove somewhere to try and avoid the wind, and that was the sound that used to wake me up every morning. So my favourite bird is a wood pigeon. There you go. Um, let me know what you think. What's your favourite bird song? We'll see if we can get a little clip and play it for you and help you with your mindfulness this morning. Oh eight three three zero six nine six nine six. You can always call us on eighteen hundred ninety ninety six ninety six. The team are already there waiting to answer your calls, or you can email us kclr live at kclr ninety six fm dot com. Una is waiting to take your calls. Now, joined in studio this morning, first thing, um, by uh, Rebecca Reynolds. She's the Director of Development and Marketing at uh, Butler Gallery. Uh, Good morning, Rebecca. You're very welcome in. Glad to have you this morning. Good morning, Brian. Nice to be here. It's brilliant to have you here. First of all, um, a busy weekend coming up in the Butler Gallery. Yeah, really, really busy weekend. Um, I mean, as everybody probably knows, uh, Kilkenny Arts Festival kicks off tomorrow and uh, we are presenting the Art of Sport in partnership with the Kilkenny Arts Festival and that opens on Saturday. So loads of activity at the moment in the gallery. Um, The show is going in at the moment. Anne O'Sullivan, who's the director of Butler Gallery and the curator of the show, is currently very busy hanging it with our technicians. And does it, here's an interesting thing, the insight, that's we like to bring our listeners and myself here. So somebody who's creating, curating, should yeah. I say a show mm. are they actually the ones putting the nails in the walls and deciding that that piece goes there and this piece goes here uh, well she's not putting the nails in the walls but she is deciding where they are ha- oh, or okay. where they're hung yeah so I mean it does we need involve, to get her a drill or a yeah, hammer yeah, yeah. And then- like, it involves a lot of uh, um, you know strong men not to be sexist about it but they are all men um 
So uh, and uh, you know a kind of a, a, a strong team of people to get the to get the work up because some of them are, are really massive. Yeah, I can imagine really huge heavy pieces of art that are going up on the walls. So and it's 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 like a second layer of art in its own right because you've got the art originally created by the artist. Yeah, and then the the job the role of the curator deciding yeah. how that art should flow in, yeah, within yeah, the exhibition. Yeah, and I mean the I'm going for further back in the process with regards to deciding and you know yeah. what artists to get in touch with where the work is going to come from. There's international artists involved in this show so most of the artists are um, Irish but we do have artists from Denmark the UK um, USA and the Netherlands as well in this show so I mean Butler Gallery is all about supporting emerging Irish artists and international artists so this show is very reflective of what our our, our mission and vision would be so the art of sport yes um, why and what type of thing will we be able to see well, it's, I mean, I guess it's kind of reflecting a lot of different sports. So we have basketball, we have a beautiful piece of work by a photographer, Paul Carroll, which is called the Gaelic Fields. And that was part of a seven year uh, mm. photography program. And that is, I mean, if you're into Gaelic football, um, even if you're not into Gaelic football, stunning photographs from all around Ireland set in the most beautiful landscapes of um, Gaelic football in club games uh, with the communities and the surrounds of those communities. We have bowling. We we have golf, we have rugby, uh, gymnastics, football, boxing. Um, we have some stunning photographs from um, photographer Jeanette Lowe of boys jumping into the canal in Dublin. Yeah. Um, there's just a, a equestrian. So Kilkenny's Neville Hart has a an artwork um, depicting Shergard, the beautiful horse that was stolen way back in the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, really an, a very eclectic mix, a very diverse. It's a very diverse show. And we would hope that, I mean, even if you're not into art per se, that you might come along and view this because I think everyone will get something out of it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think art and sport are two things that we're very good at here in Ireland but we don't often see them combined in that way no, exactly. And I think that was part of Anna's vision with regards to um, to this show in the beginning. So she met Paul Pfeiffer. She was came across Paul Pfeiffer's work in New York way back. I mean, 20 odd years ago, Anna lived in, in New York. So she came across a video installation of uh, by Paul, which was of um, Muhammad Ali mm. and George Foreman. It was really their clever. famous fight, yeah, back in 1974. So, and that was kind of, that's where the, the seed came from for this show. Like, so it's, it's something that she's been planning and kind of thinking about for a long time. Yeah. So, she was thrilled to be able to pull it together this year for the Kilkenny Arts Festival. Um, it'll run until the 8th of October. So it opens on August 12th. 12th it'll run until. And so there's also, if you want to listen to Anna and a couple of some of the artists who are in the show, uh, there's an artist talk in the Parade Tower on Tuesday the 15th. That's a free event. So um, it starts at one o'clock and that's with Andy Fitz, column. Macaleoc. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Regular listeners know um, for, I, I um, always Ferguson. avoid the Irish language <laughs> names. But Ferguson Crahur, um, and that's August 15th. So that's definitely worth going along to. Um, we are going to be streaming it as well. So if you can't get there, so just to kind of learn a little bit more about the show and obviously hear from the artists themselves. Which is yeah, and I think fantastic. it's brilliant because, you know, as you said, we're always supporting local artists, but people like Paul Pfeiffer, for example, are hugely renowned all over the world. I mean, that piece that you mentioned about that. Uh, the Muhammad Ali fight is really really interesting because yeah. what they did was he he took the two fighters out of the old video and just left the impact and yeah. indeed the referee I think was taken out as well yeah. so you just see the audience reaction exactly. and like these ghostly figures yeah. it's very creative some yeah. of this stuff yeah yeah, really creative and I suppose it just shows the awe that sport inspires in audiences mm-hmm. so to be able to kind of transfer that into a into an arts environment so that video will be as part of the show so the show is, is it, it isn't just f- photography it's painting it's um, sculpture there's a fantastic life-size piece 
of a figure with a football on his back. So yeah, and it, it's 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 um, featureless. So it's really interesting, beautiful sculpture. So um, and that'll all be in the main gallery and Butler Gallery, definitely. And just remind us, how long is the ga- is this particular exhibition going to be there until? It's there until October the eighth. Okay, so you could, we got a yeah. while on it yet, but I mean, it'd be nice yeah. to see, go and see yeah. it as part of yeah. Arts Week. Um, yeah. This type of um, installation, this type of exhibition, I think it's really, really interesting because it brings art potentially to an audience that might not necessarily instinctively have a draw to go and see, you know, maybe some of the classical artists of, of, of bygone era. You hoping that it'll draw in a, maybe a younger, more diverse audience? Yeah, we would hope so. I mean, it's uh, it's... As you say, I mean, it's not, you, you know, it's definitely not, it's contemporary art. It's not traditional art. We are a contemporary art gallery. So um, all of the work that goes into our main gallery is contemporary art. And because there's 28 artists involved mm. from different countries uh, with it, and it's multidisciplinary, it, there really is something for everybody in this. So even if you're not, don't necessarily see yourself as someone who would go along to an art exhibition, generally speaking, you should come to this because you'll get something out of it. Um it's just you know the textures of the work and uh, how an artist inter- how an artist is going to interpret a particular sport that they maybe maybe they are connected with. We're all connected with sport on some level or yeah. another, whether we play it or watch it or you know our family whatever it was that you grew up with playing sport. So um, a lot of those sports are in this show. So. Um, yeah, definitely. Come along and see it. The, thing, I think, the, the great thing I think about that is that when we as sports fans watch sport, we watch it through a particular lens with a particular eyesight with yeah. a particular viewpoint um, and maybe when artists watch the same sport they watch it in a very very different way they watch the grace of it they watch the yes. aesthetic of it maybe yeah. more so than yeah. worrying about what the actual score is it'll yeah. be nice yeah. in terms of admission and admission prices um, what can people expect to be paying to go in and see this particular um, exhibition well that's the beauty of it it's free there so Butler Gallery is free uh, we're a free attraction so um, and also just to mention uh, in the digital gallery which is upstairs we have a programme of um archive films of our sport by amateurs and professionals from the 1950s onwards and that's curated by the Irish Film Institute um, so that's also I mean that's a, it's kind of a different vibe to what's going on down in the contemporary art gallery but uh, definitely worth um, I suppose if you are you know Gaelic games and into the kind of more traditional side of it uh, you'll enjoy that Yeah can so, Rebecca can yeah. I let you in a little secret I've been in the Butler Gallery a couple of times do you know what I normally do what? I normally go in to get coffee <laughs> Isn't that such a travesty? Yes, it well, it's is. not. I mean, the coffee is fantastic, and the cakes and everything else that goes along yeah, with it. Coffee and cakes are good, <laughs> but it is. It's 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 people say, oh, mm-hmm. you should go up to Butler Gallery. Coffee is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think you know, with there's so many people sitting around at the moment with, with young children, this is certainly the type of art exhibition that you could bring young kids into, and and I think because there's so many of them into sport. Oh, yeah. They'll connect with it maybe oh, more yeah. than they would yeah, with some yeah, of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, percent. I mean, we you know we encourage families and children to come to the gallery all the time. Yeah. So there's you know there's no age limit or um, around anything that we're doing. We have got as part of our learning and public engagement program, we have lots of kids um, events that uh, we run on an, on a regular basis. Yeah. So for all age groups. Um, so we also have Heritage Week, which is coming up as well on the seventeenth. Mad busy. Seventeenth uh, of August, we have a film called. Uh, Bad Bones which is by an artist um, Sarah Lincoln and writer Willie Joe yeah. Mealy um, so that's worth coming along to see it's about the history of the Deer Park Mine and I think this is brilliant I mean like you know we, we so many people I think within society don't think that art is for them 
Yeah. Let's be frank about it. A lot mm. of people are often. Mm. I'll go to the butler gallery because your man said the coffee is nice, but yeah, oh, I wouldn't yeah, be interested yeah. in going upstairs. <laughs> um, but no, but it's true though, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's true. I mean, but you know, going into a gallery, you know, you're going to have a. It, like you know it's a very reflective space so yeah. it's a very nice thing to do just to even take 10 minutes to go mm. into an art gallery yeah and uh you know you know we kind of it's very as i say reflective and a sense of well-being in in, mm. an, in an environment like that um very creative and obviously ideas uh, lots of ideas floating around through the art that's hanging on the walls that's worth kind of connecting with yeah so um, art galleries were sort of mindfulness before mindfulness became a thing really yeah, weren't they yeah 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 because the artist has already done all the work for you in terms <laughs> of what they're what they're what you know they put so much thought yeah and um energy into what they're creating which is now on the wall for you to enjoy yeah. and you will de- you will interpret it whatever way you you want to interpret it we all take something different from a piece of art that we're seeing and also film or whatever it might be so um yeah, come like on, enjoy it. We have loads of things going on in the in the gallery, and all those things that you've got going on, all the stuff for kids, and you know, yeah. they're all available on the Butler Gallery website. We can check out all the details in terms of what's coming up. But the that particular um, exhibition starting weekend, the Art of Sport, running until uh, middle of October. Yes, but I, could I just say, go on, um, it's our 80th anniversary this year. So we have, Butler Gallery was established in 1943, so we have a couple of 80th anniversary celebration events. So you just, Um, the joy of radio is people can't (laughs) just see the the little bit of, oh yeah, that went on on Rebecca's face there a moment ago. So So are you going to give us a bit of an exclusive then on stuff that you've got planned for this 80th anniversary? we have, have, it's a free event um, on uh, Friday the 25th of August. um, That's coming up quite soon. It's very soon, yeah, so it's the 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, so the gallery will be open late we're not normally we usually close it at uh, 5 so yeah. it'll be open until 9 o'clock that Friday night we'll have a DJ in the garden uh, there'll be complimentary refreshments for part of the evening uh, the gallery will be nicely lit all around on the outside we'll have a violinist wa- walking through the uh, galleries upstairs <laughs> just to add a little bit of extra ambience um, so it'll be a fun evening yeah. definitely come along to that it's free so it's a family friendly event Rebecca I mean you, you, you can't just drop these bombshells on us at the last moment in terms of keeping <laughs> us a little secret but as I said it sounds like a fabulous event as well congratulations yeah. on the 80th anniversary of yeah. uh, the Butler Gallery yeah. if you've got children at home as I said, the coffee is fantastic. Um, bring them along, grab yourself a cup of coffee, have a stroll through that uh, the uh, exhibition that's starting this weekend. Starting Friday, is it? Starting the Saturday. Sport? We open on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, starting off this Saturday. Yeah. Um, some fabulous pieces in there. And um, good luck with everything else that you've got planned for the rest of the summer and the rest of the year. Rebecca Reynolds, Director of Development and Marketing at the Butler Gallery, uh, joining us in studio there this morning. Um, and I am going to go up. I am going to go up and do more than just have a cup of coffee up there. I'm going to go and see that exhibition. Really, really interesting. Interested in that. It's 18 minutes past 10 o'clock. Oh, wait, 3 306 9696. Remember to tell us what your favourite bird song is. I'll read you that full report uh, from yesterday's newspapers yesterday. But as I said, mine is the wood pigeon. And if you don't know what a wood pigeon sounds like, I'll play it for you again in a minute. KCL or live with Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Uh, good morning and welcome back to KCLR Live. 20 past 10 this morning. Uh, we're having great fun this morning, yapping away. Our next guest has joined us in studio. I'll tell you who that is in just a moment. But I wanted to play you another little part of this. Just the mindfulness of birdsong. I love it. 
That's a wood pigeon. Brings me right back to my youth. But what is your favourite bird song sound? Niall Hatch of Birdwatcher on. He'll be joining us around about 25 past 11 this morning to talk to us about some of the uh, most beautiful bird song out there. What is your favourite song? Um, What's your favourite bird? Somebody sending me a text in saying, I love wood pigeons. There's a lot of them around here. One sits on my shed. Oh, Kirsty, you're so lucky. It's Kirsty in the UK, regular listener, telling us that she has a bird that sits on her shed, a wood pigeon, nevertheless. Well, Kirsty, if I could, I'd come and camp in your back garden because the sound of that wood pigeon always brings me back to my youth. Let me know. 083 306 I also, actually, Talking about going back to your youth, I have a piece of music lined up for you. I was looking at uh, some options for us this morning, and the first song that I ever heard that made me feel cool, yeah, 1988, U2's Angel of Harlem. That's on the way for you a little bit later on this morning as well. Um, Hopefully bringing you back to your youth also. Um, Somebody who is going to take on yet another challenge within her life is uh, Alice Doyle. Alice is the chairperson of the IFA Farm and Family Social Affairs Committee. She's a Carlo native and yesterday announced as a candidate in the IFA deputy presidential elections, which will take place in November. Interesting, very important story nevertheless. But what makes it even more interesting for me is um, she's the first woman ever to give it a shot in the 68-year history of the organisation. Alice, you're very welcome along to Casey Lolo this morning. Good morning, Brian, and thank you very much for having me and to your listeners as well. Listen, it's, it's a massive um, challenge, I suppose, in, in both regards. It's a challenge to take on the election campaign and it'll be a challenge to take on the roles should you, should you be granted that role. What was the driving force behind you making that decision? Um, I suppose it's been coming for a while really but I've been involved in, in I suppose you could say farming organisations for a very long time since I left college actually. Uh, I first was involved in Mockner Pharma for a large number of years in Carlo. I represented Carlo at national level for nearly 10 years and then I was involved in IFA when I moved to Wexford when I got married I moved to another county, got involved in IFA down there so uh, I, I suppose that's always been part of me and when you're part of an organisation like that you don't always aim to be you know going for the top position or second half position but uh, things develop as you go along and I I never envisioned being even in the position I'm in at the moment of being national chair of a committee but when you get there and then you get support from people and people encourage you and say well you know it's very important that maybe you should consider running for this position I certainly wouldn't consider the the serious one the the president's one (laughs) but the deputy president I think is a good start and I was strongly encouraged by my committee members first locally and nationally and then by my own county and by other county representatives representatives all over the country and I suppose you know I have a couple of reasons for thinking of wanting to go I come from a farming background I farm with my husband in partnership for you know for the over 30 years um, even though I worked off farm at the same time but I also come to this position or come to looking for this position with a large number of skills that are off farm skills that I think will be very helpful um, in the in the role because all these roles are developing you know when the organization was founded 68 years ago or it was a a very different organisation than it is now. It was very much, you know, totally farming focused the, the main commodities that's what we were dealing with but now that has changed so much because we're dealing with professionals all the time whether it's you know advocacy uh, we're advocating for our farm representatives at many levels at local level uh, council level then we go to national level with the Department of Agriculture with the government ministers then we go to Europe and we're constantly negotiating in Europe so I think it's very important that whoever comes to these roles comes with skills that are 
able to be used in that area, whether it's advocacy, negotiation, communication um, and communicating with the public as well, because farming is an industry now that uh, needs to communicate a lot with the public, that the public understands how we work. We can't take it for granted anymore that everybody understands farming. Years ago, we would have said farmers, nobody was any more removed than one generation from a farm that day is over Um, and it's like any industry we have to explain ourselves we have to explain what we're doing why we're doing it what we're doing and I think we need people who are able to communicate who are able to be out there understand and represent the organisation well Alice when I think about uh, women within the agricultural industry I can only think of one that comes to mind as being somebody who's uh, been a powerhouse and it's Anna MEQ from the National Ploughing Championships I mean um, have you had female role models go before you in the management in the organisation in the governance of the farming industry Okay. yes I think there are a number and it's increasing because and I think the reason this is happening is because we have an increased number of females coming into farming it's not dramatic but it is increasing and I think looking at some of the role models yes Anna Mae would always have been a role model I mean she's outstanding mm. uh, and we can only aim to be part of what she is even but then you have uh, Siobhan Talbot here in, 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 in Kilkenny you know in, in Glanbia she's, she's very much a role model as well and then there have been many role models at lower levels um, who who do work every day around farming and whereas they weren't always given recognition of giving positions yeah. because they, they weren't in a position to look for them it's not that they weren't given to them I suppose they just weren't in a position to go looking for them because of commitments or whatever um, and I think those people would, would be role models to me I've seen so many women work on farms and do so much for the farming community over the years um, and didn't look for positions to represent farming but those people would be very much role models for me that I would look at them as saying this is what needs to be done hopefully I would just be able to carry it to a different level yeah. and be able to do it but the I suppose you could say women in farm, farming organisations nationally yeah, they they are scarce. Yeah. But I hope that if at least I can put a crack in that ceiling and hopefully break the ceiling, and I think that would give rise to more people coming in because you know if we see it being done, we will do it. And I think if others could see that it can be done they will do it because it's not that they're not able to do it it's just or that they're not allowed to do it I think it's just sometimes it's confidence that you don't believe that you have the confidence to and do as well it. I mean I mean, women within farming I suppose men within farming as well have, have both been very very busy um, but you've intimated a role that you've had within your own farming life whereby you were working in partnership on the farm and you were also working outside of the home as well um, it's been a very difficult and busy life for you I would suggest up till now and yet you're taking on even more challenge at this part of your life as well yeah, I, I look at. I suppose I've always been involved in doing multitasking. Yeah. Of course, they always say a woman is the best one you get when you want to multitask. You know, uh, and I do believe that to a point. But men can do it as well. But I, yeah, I've always been very busy. I've been able to do that, and that is one of the good things. And I think that's something that I can bring with me as well. That I can play different roles, and I can manage those, and I can manage time. I have. I, I'm good at managing time. I'm good at managing. Uh, you know what has to be done. I could work off farm. I could work on farm. 
farm but I also believe that my work off farm brought a lot to the farm yeah. as well and now I think my work on farm will bring a lot to this role along with my off farm skills so I, I think I'm just I'm a little bit unique in that way that I can as a, as a farmer a farmer and farmer's wife going forward for this position that I can bring the off farm skill plus the, the, the farming skills with together um, and you know I, I, I would be representing a huge number of women who are working off farm but contributing to the farm in, in, in their daily work as well um, whether they come home in the evening time and they're contributing or they're doing office work from home or running the accounts or whatever so I, I think that group of farming people who haven't always been recognised would be recognised through me in that too that they uh, their work and their contribution to farming would be would be recognised and that comes up very much through my farm family role at the moment Alice what do you think the biggest challenges are that currently face the farming community because I mean should you be successful in in, in the um, election you're going to be at the coalface you're going to be at the coalface of all of the challenges that that farmers around the country face you know we talk a lot about um, farming and global warming or farming on environmental issues but what do you see as the biggest challenges to be faced by farmers look there's a there are a huge amount of challenges but farming are good at we're good at farmers are good at facing those challenges but I think the biggest ones probably are regulation dealing with regulation the lack of regulation or the fact that there's too much the enforcement of regulation there's a huge amount of regulation uh, coming uh, on farmers and it's making life very difficult it's making it very difficult to do what needs to be done more importantly I think it's regulation being drawn up by people who don't understand farming and I think this is a role we as farmers can do a lot better at where we can now you know we should be putting forward thoughts and ideas as to how this can be done better and helping those who are making regulation to understand how it affects us you know you can you have very simple things that that uh, as somebody sitting in an office can draw up a rule or regulation for it but if you're not on the farm and don't understand that how that could uh, yeah. affect somebody it can be very uh, very difficult I'll give you an example you know there have been a few things have happened recently uh, people you know fine weather comes and you, you uh, the, because of some regulations you can't cut you can't cut hay and then you have you, you have a sh- father shortage later on you know now, they're just simply I could think of loads of regulations so I think it's over regulation we need to deal with um, how we're going to deal with that and how we're going to maybe inf- more influence how regulation uh, what regulations are brought in so that they can be uh, dealt with on the farm and we can farm with we were not saying we don't under regulation yeah, regulation you is need good, it you but do it's, it's relevant regulation and regulation that works I, I think the environment of course it's huge but it's a lot of the regulation is around the environment and farmers are more than willing to do their part uh, in that and are doing their part I don't think we always sell ourselves very well as to how much we are actually doing and how much work we are doing uh, towards keeping the environment and looking after it and making it a better place and how much is actually being done all the time and how much we're prepared to do and keep doing I think communication is a big thing we need to work on that going forward that we let people know what we are actually doing uh, that there are some of them look at there are so many things there's prices uh, commodity prices there's always that that's always an issue world markets are always uh, influencing what we do but we have to make people aware of how much those markets are influencing us that we don't always have control Mm. Uh, over that um, and there's the day to day issues The you know whether it's education whether it's uh, health they all affect us as farmers too so we have to deal with with all of those too and just finally Alice um, do you think the IFA is ready to have a woman in such a senior role I do 
I actually do. I have to say since, uh, you know, I've, I've always been involved in AV and I've always found it very welcoming, very open. Uh, and I definitely think nationally uh, now there's a very much a, an opening for a woman. I think people see a, a woman coming in, bringing a bit of more balance in as well, because uh, anywhere you have both sexes, male and female, you have a difference of, you have a balance of opinion. And I think that's terribly important. But sometimes a difference of opinion, which is Absolutely. very important. Well, this is the balance. We, I could have a different opinion and I'm not I'm not afraid to make it, you know, to say it. And I think I can bring that to, to the table. But I, I do think the organisation is ready. And from what I'm hearing from around the country, and um, part of the reason I'm running is because of the encouragement I've been given by people to say, you know, we do need women there. We need that balance. And it's not, I, I, I don't want to be that token woman, you know, that was yeah. put in there uh, because a woman was needed. I'd like to think that if I run, that I, if I can get it's elected. It's your choice to run. You're it's choosing. My, it's my choice. It's yeah. my choice to run. I'm not uh, one of those, you know, uh, 20% that has to be put on the electorate. I'm not that. I am going because I want to go because I feel uh, people have asked me to, have said, there's time for a woman to go there and not just for one but time for someone who has the skills I have to go um, so I, I feel the organisation is ready for that and I think they're more than willing um, to take me on if I'm prepared to if they're prepared to elect me now I'm prepared to give the, give the time um, I do have the time I have the energy I have the experience I have the skill and what I don't know I'm prepared to learn and yeah. I'll be the first to say there's plenty I don't know but my track record in my profession and in my farming would say I'm more than capable of learning and I will learn and I'm very happy to uh, advocate for the farming community, negotiate on their behalf and represent them. Well, an interesting text from a listener saying a lot of these rules that are governing farmers are coming from the EU. How would you propose that we tackle the EU when it comes to these farming regulations? Um, it's not a simple answer to that one but I think it's very much setting up relation, having a good relation with the key people in the key places. We do have a, a representative uh, all the time in Brussels, in our Brussels, Lee McHale in our Brussels office but I think we need to be working very much with the commissioners uh, working with the different uh, MEPs all along, keeping them well informed, letting them know how it's affecting us, how these rules and regulations are affecting us. It, look at the EU, is a big organisation but I've been out there, I have seen how it works. Uh, I do believe that if we constantly keep going to them, explaining very clearly how things are affecting us here and also bringing some suggestions with us as to how things could be done. You mm. know, uh, it's not all a one way thing. Yeah. We, we look for help, but we also bring some suggestions to the table. So I don't think I'd be able to take on the commission single handedly, but I'd certainly <laughs> would be more than happy to, to give to it a go. I'd give it a good go. I'd give the organisation, uh, I'll represent the organisation as well as I could that way. I won't be afraid to. Well, Alice Doyle, um, native of uh, Crosslow in Tullow County, Carlow, um, running for election in November um, as uh, the IFA's deputy president. The first time in 68 years a woman has a run for that role. If, as we have, many farming people, people from the farming community listening to the show this morning, if they wanted to find out a little bit more about you... Um, where can they find your manifesto for example <laughs> they will find out very shortly uh, we will have a mailing list going out to all our members with the with the ballots which will be going out in uh, early November and with that we'll go brochures etc explaining but should, all they have to do is ever check into what's happening in the Farm Family and Social Affairs Committee and IFA uh, we're on we're, we're up there all the time I'm out there all the time my committee's out there all the time they'll have no problem finding out about me ask any IFA member around the country I think most of them have an idea who I am at this stage and they, they'll give you the good the bad and the ugly one. So there you are. <laughs> well, so listen, thanks for your time this morning and uh, best of luck between now and November. Alice Doyle there joining us on KCLR Live this morning. It's 24 minutes to uh, 11 o'clock. One of my favourite guards.
Probably. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say my only favourite card. Andy Neal is in for Community Assist this morning. Andy will be joining us uh, in just a couple of moments' time. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Yes, it's 22 minutes to 11 o'clock this uh, Wednesday morning. Um, community assist is coming up in a few moments. Garda, Andy Neil is in studio. But uh, as always, Garda, Neil and I love to have a chat before. But while we're having that chat, I'm going to play you one of the first pieces of music that made me feel cool. I was given the press pack for this. Friend of a friend type thing. Uh, everybody in class, well, give me a look at that, give me a look at that. Yeah, I had it. It's you too, Angel of Harlem. YouTube's Angel of Harlem, bringing me back to my youth. Garda Andy Neal is in studio. He was asking me, why did that mean so much to you? And I was explaining to Andy. Uh, I was given a press pack by a friend of a friend that had lovely glossy photographs um, of the, the boys in the band. I didn't really know that much about you 2 mm. at the time, but I just thought I had to be cool to get it. Yeah, I got it. And you didn't keep it, though. I didn't keep it, no. Go on. Keep it, no. Session time. He said to me, have you still got it? I said, no. He said, I said, uh, I gave it to a girl. And how did that work out? Well, uh, it's, um, let's just say it wasn't necessarily what I would describe as a fair trade, Andy. Uh, okay. KCLR. Community Assist with Carlo and Kilkenny Gardy. We shall leave that story where it is, just in case. Um, Garda and Neil joining the studio for this week's Community Assist. You're very welcome in, as always. Great to, to see you. How have you been lately? Good, good. Uh, although the summer is a real disappointment. The what? Uh, oh, sorry. sorry yeah, 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 sorry. August. August. August and July have been a, a real disappointment. And, and of course, you're out on the beat. I mean, you're out in it. All yeah, the time. yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd be out and about on, on the bike in it. Look, if you get wet, you get wet. But uh, it look when you're at work, do you really mind that much? Probably not. Mm. But it's when people have their time off and their trips away, and you know, okay, there are spells, but it, it, it's been a bit miserable, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been off for the last two weeks, so we found uh, one day that I would sort of describe as summary. But nevertheless, anyway, yeah. listen, we're all above the ground. We're all the right way up. We're all in good yeah. form, anyway. Um, GA Clubhouse break in. Guardian Carlo investigating one there. Erog. Yeah, Aerog was broken into, and that was broken into yesterday uh, morning, early hours, 3.15am. We have a sharp time for that. Uh, they entered through a window, ended up ransacking an office, and then, of course, uh, targeted the cigarette machine, which was brought outside of the clubhouse and forced open. I could imagine a good degree of force. They'd be sturdy old yokes. And um, so cash and cigarettes taken. Now, sometimes in these cases, someone may turn up with a load of cigarettes offering to sell them mm. at a knockdown price. So that might be a clue. You might be offered those or you might have other information or indeed you might have noticed suspicious air, uh, activity in the O'Brien Road area early hours of uh, yesterday morning not this morning yesterday morning if so could you contact Guardian Carlo 059-913-6620 we got CCTV footage from the site uh, I, 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 
there's CCTV and, and forensics being going okay. over at the moment. Yeah, cool. yeah. Okay, yeah. so one yeah. to mindful of not 3.15 this morning, 3.15 on Tuesday morning. So that yeah. was like so, yeah, Monday, Monday night into in Tuesday, Tuesday morning. morning. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, park vehicle targeted in Kilkenny the second night month this week's list. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is I suppose, a cautionary thing too. And was it, In this case, uh, it was a vehicle parked in the rear view estate, uh, VW Caddy van, and um, outside the injured party's house between 9.30pm on Monday night of the bank holiday and 7.30am the following morning, most likely overnight. Mm. A dash cam and amount of coins were taken. I'm not sure if the vehicle were actually was actually physically broken into or if it was open. Now, a lot of us, Brian, leave our cars open when they're outside our house. Yeah. Now, if people have smart... Do they feet, really, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Anything up to one in three. That that many people? No. You can discount those who have a smart fob that self-locks when you walk a certain distance away, right? But other... There's other dangers there. We won't even go there. Yeah. Uh, But uh, other... A lot of people... uh, They bring in... Can I just stop you there? I'm lucky enough to have a car that's got one of them smart fobs. Yeah. Do you know what I copped... Go on. ...about three weeks ago? I parked the car at the front door. Now, I don't live in a mansion. Right, mm. so the distance between where my car is parked and where I leave the car keys yeah. is probably actually no more than three meters because oh. I go in the front door, little set of drawers on the left hand yeah. side, throw the keys in there, close the drawer. Oh. But I only copped a few weeks ago that the fob is not far enough away from the car yeah. for the car to self lock. And also another point, all someone has to do is the very high tech car thieves now is arrive at your door and retransmit the signal mm. while pal sits opens the door and drives the car away and right so what you need to do is yeah uh, uh, you need to put your keys inside what is often referred to as a Faraday wallet right <laughs> yeah I know yeah, yeah and a Faraday wallet is basically a wallet with a bit of tinfoil in it or something or stick them in an envelope uh, that is lined with foil freeze your bag no problem, chuck it in there. Yeah. Something that will stop the signal. Okay. Or else... So if I had a little metal, I don't know, like an old metal tin or something like that. Biscuit tin. Grand. Biscuit tin and... 100%. It's going to work. Put down the lid. Yeah. Do not leave your keys anywhere in the house that a signal booster could be used to jack your car from outside your house. No breaking. So in this case, or in a lot of cases, people um, get... um, the opportunistic thief hits an estate and on every third let's say every third door car door he's finding one open right. with valuables in so it's a very good payday and very effective um, and I mean you, you, I'm not suggesting you take it up Brian no I know no, but, yeah, but, yeah. but from that point of view if you think about it like I have probably 10 to 15 quid in loose yeah. change in my car yeah Right, so if you go into an estate that's got a hundred houses, one in three of them—that's thirty houses, fifteen quid in each of those thirty cars—that's about four hundred quid, four hundred fifty quid. It's a seriously good night's work, and 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 then and then there can be extra valuables. Yeah, you know there might be uh, dash cams, etc. Yeah, so like. So keep the cars locked. Keep the cars locked. And in your case, and if you have one of these fancy smart, make sure your key is in some sort of a Faraday envelope or a good old, fa- something that will block the signal. Right. Some people say, put it in the freezer, right? In the fridge or freezer. There's one disadvantage to that. <laughs> Anyone will tell you knows anything about batteries. Yeah, they don't they deal well with They discharge quicker 
yeah. with cold. Yeah. And, and dampness isn't good either for your probably. Uh, it, that's going a bit too far, though, isn't it? Sticking it, it in the freezer. Loads of people do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, next item. Fancy dip. Yeah. Well, this one might put you off, right? Or this might put a shiver through your shorts. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, uh, there were uh, there were two cases of a hotel swimming pool there um, during the week. Uh, last Monday I'm not going to name the hotel and because it could be another hotel tomorrow yep. and another hotel another day and indeed it may have been several hotel swimming pools hit on the same day but it was last Monday afternoon and a person unknown was dipping into the pockets of uh, uh, of pants hanging up and uh, in, in the dressing room and helped themselves to a couple of wallets mm. and so so uh, one person found themselves a couple of hundred euro down. Now there's very few options with your wallet uh, yeah. <laughs> as to where you could put it if you're getting into the swimming pool. But we won't go there. Yeah. Not before the watershed. <laughs> but what we will say is, you really need. The it nature is, a, is a, a little Ziploc bag, freezer bag, and stick it down your shorts, maybe yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, again, again, we're not going to go there, no. are we? Right. But, but what we will see is this is changing rooms in general, and this needs to be a real thing of focus. Changing rooms, for obvious reasons, do not have CCTV inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go in there, even to the place that you might think is really secure, your stuff is not secure in a changing room because there is no CCTV. Yeah. So someone can be seen coming or going. But unless if there's other forensic evidence or someone caught in the no act. chance of yeah. yeah, no chance. Listen, Gary Neil, stay, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. After which, we're going to talk um, drunken, hungry, random assault, um, autistic peace taking, and a burglary in Orlingford. All of that coming up on our community assist guard, Andy Neil, joining us this morning. It's nine minutes to eleven o'clock. KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. You welcome back to KCL or live. It's uh, eight minutes to eleven o'clock. I'm joined in studio uh, by guard Andy Neal we're talking community assist and we're moving on to our fourth item drunk and hungry guardian Carla were investigating the damage of a fast food premises on Tullow streets yeah so uh, they were shutting after busy bank holiday night so it's early hours on Monday morning and indeed 4am and all the um, all uh, all the eateries would be well and truly shut then, but there'd be a bit of clearing up. And one establishment, anyway, noted that there was a male trying to get in, which, of course, and probably appeared intoxicated, I would say, but then started elbowing at the door and then head-butted the door, uh, um, cracking it. Now, I could imagine, apart from the headache from the uh, <laughs> excessive alcohol, this headache must surely have been compounded so we're looking for anyone who's still straggling at that stage of the morning yeah. who may have have seen someone this person may have also indeed if you didn't even see the action uh, this person may have had uh, a visible injury to their head from the uh, headbutting of the door uh, mindless activity 200 euro uh, of damage caused but it's just I would say, you know, and it can be the taxi drivers and it can be the takeaway uh, owners and workers. When we're working on a Saturday night or bank holiday Sunday night, which is the busiest, we have the protection somewhat of having 
having our policing powers, yeah. our badges, our personal protect equipment. But it's, it's a people working late night with drunk people and intoxicated people. It can be very intoxicated. It can be. It, it can they're, be very. They're, they're it, delivering a service in the same way that the members of the Garda Shikana are, absolutely. but they don't have that same level of protection correct, that you guys do. You know, um, talking about assaults, um, a random assault, Guardian Carlo are investigating that random assault, and it occurred last Sunday around about six p.m. Yeah, teenage boy in the Haymarket area. Male came up to him. Don't have any more details than that. A male came up to him. Punched him in the nose, leave him a bloody nose, and immediately left the area. Our lads were called straight away, straight down. He was gone from the area. Someone may have witnessed this. Again, there should have been plenty of people around the Haymarket area Sunday at 6pm. So please, if you can, uh, Guardian Carlo, 059-913-6620. And it's not just a bloody nose, it's the... the the trauma uh, yeah trauma would sound like an, an over the top word but it is it's a traumatic experience I can only it imagine is, it is actually being assaulted and funny enough you know funny enough as guards you know we'd be taking reports uh, of assault every day but uh, like when you've actually been assaulted as most of my colleagues have right and 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 I have before and have, it is actually you don't expect it even when it's quite minor and even if the injuries you don't it, it does take a bit out of yeah, people. It, it really it. does, yeah. Um, an artistic piece taken in uh, Guardian Bagnall's Town are investigating the, the art piece from Ray's Lock. Yeah, Ray's Lock between Thursday last at 5pm and the following morning. Um, tried to get the injured party on the phone this morning. Failed. I may have been a digit out in the phone number there was. Uh, so the art piece included a turbine that was set into the water there. Uh, a converter a 12 volt battery and a solar controller so and the turbine itself had laser etching uh, very specific equipment yeah. so a water turbine with associated electrical and electronic so equipment th- th- this probably sounds to me like it's somebody who doesn't necessarily appreciate the value of the art but might be looking at the, 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 the equipment itself Ooh, yeah, going, yeah, 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 yeah 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 we aren't looking for an art thief in this case <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're looking for for a common or, or garden uh, regular thief yeah, uh, we yeah. think in this case so any information again to lads in Carlo and finally, um, I want to get onto a text message from a listener in a moment, so do stay with me. But uh, we've got one final item to look at uh, an Erlingford burglary. Yeah, so a break into a house on Toker Way in Erlingford between 1 pm and the following morning. But as you say, look, it's going to be the middle of night, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be at night, right? And copper cylinder was taken as well as a diesel pump from the shed. Now, the copper cylinder wasn't just sitting there, it was plumbed. Oh. So, yeah. And you know what? If you're really considerate, someone's really considerate, they could probably actually switch off the water before they did that. But of course, no such and a lot of water damage caused. And curtain poles and curtains taken from the from upstairs two bedrooms peculiar one so does any yeah oh yeah 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 uh, we're getting them all actually so any information to ourselves in Kilkenny mm. we'll we'll uh, relay to lads in Comer and Erlingford uh, strange um, I have a text message in hmm. for you Garda oh, and right. oh dear okay oh, dear. Um, what have I done uh, well you've done something okay yeah it says uh, please don't say my name if you look back on previous messages so okay. they, they, they want to be identified first yeah. of all they said will you thank Garda Andy Neil for his assistance to me about two years ago 
Um, I know he supported me, but won't remember, as I'm just a member of the public needing assistance. But thank you, Garda. Do you know what? He's... I've no idea who that person is no, or what you did for them, but uh, it actually means an awful lot. And, and those smaller, th- listen, we don't expect it, we don't deserve it, but it is lovely. Can I say one more shout out? And yeah, this is a shout on. out to the best person we ever had in our community engagement office, and that is Shirley Bergen, yeah. who's going on to another government department and she's leaving us this week all the community groups who've contacted us over the number of years Shirley's been looking after us in the office for about five or six years and she is absolutely exceptional and we I'll give Shirley, her give Shirley a round of applause Definitely. for all of the work that she's done and all the guards um, Guard Andy Neil, thanks for joining us today on Community Assist I don't know who that texter is I don't know what you did but you did something man. thanks ah, from them to you KCLR Community Assist with Carlo and Kilkenny Gardy. It is 10.59. News 11 is not that far away. KCL or live with Thanks Fair Green Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Thanks, Ashling. Favourite bird song? Um, oh, you put me on the spot No, no listen, I, I like putting people on the spot. and I'm, I'm not expecting you to be an expert in the field because we do actually have an expert in the field joining us a little bit later on. Niall Hatch had a head of board watcher. I tell you why. I'll ask you in general. I came across a piece in yesterday's newspaper. Hearing a lot of words song is good for your mental health. In yesterday's Irish Daily Mail, a reporter wrote, the sweet sound of bird song is enough to calm the weariest soul. New research now shows shows having found that areas less rich with bird species have a higher number of mental health admissions. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it is very soothing, yeah, I think, bird yeah. song, especially in the morning. It is. So if mean, you're not a morning person, maybe not. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't know whether you can hear it now. I loved this one. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that, that wood pigeon sound. Yeah, that's very relaxing. Isn't it? It's like... Mm-hmm. Very similar, apparently, to a dove, because I was doing research yeah. on this last time, because I've nothing better to be doing. With <laughs> <laughs> and apparently a coloured dove sounds very like a wood pigeon. Very easy to distinguish the difference. Very difficult, should I say, to distinguish the difference yeah. between them. But uh, it is relaxing. Yeah, I've, I'm very relaxed now, after that bulletin. Yeah. I, I might listen to that more often. Yeah, I'll send you that little link, that yeah, little piece do. of audio, <laughs> and you can have a little listen to it. Ashley, thank you very much for joining. You should be back at 12. But uh, a very smart, slightly sarcastic listener when I was asking him earlier on what was their favourite bird song (laughs) they said turn, turn, turn by the birds to everything turn, turn, turn there is a season, turn, turn, turn And a time to every purpose under heaven A time to be born, a time to die A time to plant, a time to reap A time to kill, a time to heal A time to laugh, a time The birds, bird song. Yeah, well, we're talking bird song properly in a little bit later on, and we really appreciate the, the sarcasm and indeed intelligence of some of our listeners suggesting that that song from the birds is their favourite bird song. You get where I'm going with that, but do stay tuned because between now and uh, 12 o'clock, we will be talking bird song properly when we be joined in studio by an expert in the field telling us and discussing what is 
you know, some of the most beautiful bird song you can hear in Ireland. We'll also be hearing from Edwina Grace because yesterday we spoke to Tim Butler, the Director of Services at Kilkenny County Council, about the art installation on the Osry Bridge and how, unfortunately, with the bridge renovations, art wasn't um, able to be saved, I suppose. They've come up with a number of different plans or are working on a number of different plans um, to see what can be done with it. But Edwina Grace as she's so capable of doing, managed to track down the original artists, Joan Walsh-Smith and Charles Charlie Smith, as he's known, uh, originally from Waterford, but now living in Western Australia. And despite the huge time difference, our own Edwina Grace managed to catch them on the phone and got their thoughts on what should happy with that, happen with that art installation. We'll be hearing that a little bit later on. Now, a topic, um, I suppose, that's been very very important to so many of us it's 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 something that we've discussed many many times in different ways and indeed with uh with neve murphy who joins me in studio from amber's women's women's refuge we've, we've talked about the plight of women um with domestic violence on a number of different ways yesterday i think was a what could be described as a good day and um, because uh roger gorman announced uh, for the first time that domestic violence leave will be paid and not just that it will be paid domestic violence leave that it will be paid at 100% of the uh, full daily rates for those um, suffering that abuse and Neve Murphy from Amber Women's Refuge uh, thanks very much for giving us time to pop into us this morning good day yesterday Good day, Brian. Good morning to you. Good morning to your listeners. Yeah, a very significant day, Brian. Um, as you said, um, the minister has now come out on the record and said that um, domestic violence leave. So the five days statutory leave that will be part of the Work-Life Balance Bill, which was enacted earlier this year, um, which will come into effect, the minister says, in late autumn, um, will be five days um, uh, leave available to victim survivors, men and women of um, who are uh, suffering with domestic violence and abuse who work outside the home will be able to avail of, of five days mm. leave throughout the year. Um, but what was really significant about yesterday was there was um, some suggestions before that domestic violence leave would be paid at the rate of sick pay, yeah. which is, you know, is 70% um, of, of full pay. Um, but uh, the news yesterday that it will be paid at the full rate of pay is really welcomed by ourselves in Amber. And it's the result of a, of a very, you know, lengthy and comprehensive um, consultation process um, you know, led by Women's Aid, our colleagues in Women's Aid, with the department to ensure that um, you know it would be paid at full at full pay, and we're delighted that the minister and the department have listened to us, and that's now going to happen. Let's celebrate the good things about this first of all before we talk about some of the. Uh, Maybe shortcomings is too strong a word, but you're going to get what I'm going challenges, with this. Maybe. Yeah, challenges. I mean, there's yeah. other areas that, that and, and it's only thanks to the education that I've received from people like you that I'm aware of these things. But one of the first countries in the world, I think probably the third or fourth country in the globe um, to have such a scheme in place. Yeah, uh, so uh, there's a handful of countries globally who who have legislation in place. Um, Australia, New Zealand, and Italy has some mm. some uh, legislation in place. So we really are at the cutting edge in terms of this. So you know there there is going to be a period of of um, you know maybe you know concern among um, you know employees who are impacted by domestic violence and abuse is going to be concern amongst employers in terms of how they fulfil their statutory obligations with the domestic violence leave 
achieve, how they appropriately support their employees who are victim survivors of domestic violence and abuse. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the minister was very clear yesterday that, um, you know, it will be subject this this part of the bill, which is Section 7, will be subject to review in two years time. Yeah. So we can expect there is going to be a period of bedding in. Um, in terms of, you know, the administration of, of domestic violence leave. But I think another very positive move is that our colleagues in Women's Aid are working and have been contracted by the department and they will be providing um, template uh, guidelines and template domestic abuse policies for businesses of all types and of all sizes and those templates will um, we've been told be available for download by employers once um, the domestic violence leave comes into into play later this year so I think that's a very very positive move because I know myself Brian you know, ourselves in Amber, we've been working locally with employers in Kilkenny and Carlo doing a lot of outreach work over the last year. And there's a lot of concern amongst employers and HR managers. There's a lot of fear, um, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of, fear of, you know, how am I going to handle this if an employee comes forward to us? So, you know, we totally understand that. But I suppose the message I would want to get out to employers in Kilkenny and Carlo today is, you know, you're not an expert and you don't need to be an expert expert in mm. this field. Um, but what you do need to do is fulfill your statutory obligations in terms of the administration of leave and, and you know, um, fulfill your duty of care to your employees. But I would say to um, local employers to look on this as an opportunity, um, you know, rather than a, a compliance and a box ticking exercise, look on it as an opportunity to ensure that everyone who works with you and for you feels supported while they're at work, regardless of what might be going on for them. At yeah. Home. yeah, I suppose yeah. it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's very, very few opportunities whereby um, a business owner may get to bring this topic up because it's up obviously to the individual who may be going through this to lead that conversation or to at least open that conversation, you know, looking after people's personal space. But this could be an opportunity for a business owner who may have had suspicions over a period of time and not directly deal with the individual, but to say, this is coming into play late October or late autumn and we are quite happy to be involved and this is what's happening. If you've got any questions, please come to me. Yes, I mean, I, I'm asked all the time by local HR managers or, or local business owners, you know, you know, how do I handle this? What are our what are our, our obligations? What's the kind of boundary? And what we would always say is, you know, you you handle disclosures that that may come forward uh, from a managerial perspective, not from a personal perspective. So you have a managerial duty of care to that individual. But what's really important, what's the difference? Um, you you recognise that you are not an expert in the space, okay. and so your role is in um, uh, facilitating and creating a culture, which is what you just spoke about. The manager's role here is in creating that culture where people can talk about this, mm. where it's no longer the suspicion or the how do we handle this, where you know a, cr a culture is created whereby this is freely able to speak about, where a culture where you know you can facilitate disclosures, you handle those disclosures as a manager, so you're not a support worker, you're not a counsellor.
councillor, you handle it as a manager. And handling it as a manager means, um, you know, uh, responding effectively to that disclosure. So responding as a human being, responding empathetically, sensitively, but understanding that you're not the expert, that you then need to have your either internal supports available for employees, you need they are, and you need to know about the external specialist supports like Amber that are available and you effectively refer to those. I think that one point will be a a huge um, comfort to to business owners because I think they could quite often get confused between now I have to deal with this, I'm not trained to deal with this, but your suggestion is that accept that you're not trained and pass that area on to the experts. Yes. Now, now, I mean, you know, we don't want to devolve managers and, and employers of all responsibility here. I mean, certainly I would think, and you know, I've had some conversations with, with HR teams and with business owners where they've said, well, look, do we need a, a policy in place? Can we not just enact, uh, you know, can we not just administrate the leave? And I would say a policy is absolutely crucial for you not having a policy, but administering your statutory requirement to administer a uh, domestic violence leave is leaving your employees who may be affected by domestic violence and abuse and is leaving your people managers open and Mm. exposed. So certainly the policy is the first step toward ensuring this process runs as smoothly as possible for your business and your and your employees, the people who work with you and for you. So, you know, have a policy in place. As I mentioned, there will be downloadable policy templates available once the domestic leave comes into to play. So I would encourage all employers in Kilkenny and Carlo to download those templates. Yeah, start that prep now. Yes, uh, structure it for your business because every business is going to be different and then launch and embed it into your culture, into okay. your business. And the second aspect, Brian, which I think is really crucial is training. OK, so, um, you know, it's really important that, you know, it does just, as I mentioned, be just a compliance, a ticks box exercise. If that, you know, we really want to support victim survivors who work outside the home, if we want to keep them in the workplace, because all the research shows us internationally that great people are being lost because of domestic violence and abuse and because there hasn't been effective workplace responses or there hasn't been cultures within businesses where they have felt able to come forward to say, listen I am really really struggling here I need some support for a set period of time I need some flexibility for a set period of time to to resolve a situation to maybe escape an abusive relationship to find alternate accommodation to to go to court to, to seek medical help whatever it may be so training is really really crucial for um, uh, businesses, for people, managers, so that they know um, how to recognise the signs within the workplace, so they know how to respond, as we said, appropriately and um, without, you know, having that yoke around their neck where they feel, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a support worker, I need to be a counsellor here. You don't. And then referring effectively to either internal supports that you may have available or the external specialists. And, you know, in, in Kilkenny and Carla, that would be us in Amber. And, you know, our door is always open to any employer with specific concerns um, who needs some guidance either on policy development or who wants to talk to us about training. We have, okay. yes. Move, moving on then to talk about the victims, what difference do you believe that this will make in the lives of victims who are entitled to these supports? Um, I think it, it, this can be really, really significant for victim survivors who work outside the home. Um, I'll just quote some research um, uh, to you, Brian. Um, some research done by the Vodafone Foundation across nine countries in Europe. Uh, they they, they, um, they uh, did the research with 2,000 women and men who work outside the home. Uh, 38% of them were saying they were less protected 
productive at work. Uh, 37 of them, um, I should have said to begin with, were experiencing intimate relationship abuse. 67% of them said it negatively affected their career. And 75% of the female respondents in that uh, um, study said they were targeted at work. So, you know, lest anyone think that abuse stops when we start work, when we go into the factory or we go into the office or we get into the van every morning, it doesn't, you know, and particularly female employees are at risk uh, of threatening phone calls and emails and physical assaults and unannounced visits. Um, And we did some research ourselves in 2021 with 200 women and men who work outside the home in Kilkenny and Carlow. And there was massive, massive um, impacts on them um, in terms of their their um, their their workplace mobility. Um, You know, they felt that they didn't have the mobility within the workplace because they were dealing with so much at home. There was increased absenteeism. There was a loss of productivity and there was a lot of depression and anxiety. Um, So I think, you know, for a victim survivor who knows that they can go into a supportive work uh, place, because remember, Brian, for a lot of people, the workplace is probably the only space they have in their lives where they have a physical distance from an abuser. So to see the work as a haven, to see that work and for that workplace to be an effective, safe, safe space for them where they can access the supports they need, where they can and it, it would give them cover. So this leave will give people cover. So, you know, as someone that goes into the workplace, they may be on leave, but they may still be able to use the facilities in that workplace to make calls, to, you know, contact solicitors, to seek alternative contact. It could also be the justification for still leaving the house for eight hours a day while Absolutely. they go about trying to find a way out. Absolutely. So they can escape safely. I think this, this leave will be really, really significant. And the, the other thing to mention is it doesn't need to be taken in chunks of days, Brian. It can be taken as two hours here and there. Okay. It can, you know, that there's a provision for that within within the bill. So it can be taken flexibly um, in agreement with the employer to suit that particular victim survivor's circumstances. So I really think this can be significant in terms of giving them cover and giving them a spa- safe space where they can access the supports that they need. Let's move on and talk about um the areas of this bill that are maybe still lacking a little bit. We, you've mentioned the phrase, and you, you were the one that educated me on this in terms of how important the, the finance is because domestic abuse can also often include control of finance. What about those who don't work outside of the home? Yeah. Um, they're in a similar sort of situation where they still need financial support to be able to get out. This bill obviously helps people who are in paid employment Mm. but for those who are still working at home nothing really yet yeah I mean look it's extremely it's extremely challenging for people Um, Brian we know that you know locally in our own community how challenging it is for for victim survivors we know that from people who have have out you know um, contacted us and and who are working through our services either in refuge or in the community based services it's extremely difficult Um, you know and that brings up the discussion which you know we always have which is we're not just talking about physical abuse here so you rightly said there are so many people you know many people perhaps listening this morning who are experiencing extreme coercive control or who are experiencing financial abuse and they tend to go hand in hand. So, you know, there are, are women and men listening this morning who maybe are given an allowance or a budget, usually a very meagre one every week um, by an abuser. Um, their, their spending is completely monitored. They maybe don't have their own bank card and um, they don't have their own means of working, as you said, because they're working in the home. Um, so it's 
it's extremely challenging. So this bill is not going to support those individuals. That's that's another yeah. discussion. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, it's extremely challenging. And what I would say to anybody experiencing any form of coercive control, any form of financial abuse, you know, an abuser is using money as a way to control you. And if you're not involved in handling money, making, um, you know, you don't have the ability or you're, you're stopped from having the ability to make your own money, you've no financial independence, you know, you don't have enough money to, to buy essentials for yourselves, your children, um, you know, reach out, reach out to Amber, um, you know, we'll support you where you are, we'll support you in any way that we can and, you know, in, inform you of your rights and entitlements. Interesting, yesterday, most bills that come in like this are set down uh, to be reviewed four or five years after they've come into play. Uh, but I suppose acknowledging the fact that we are one of the global leaders, we're at the forefront of trying to improve the plight of men and women suffering domestic abuse. Uh, Roderick Gorman announced that also that this bill will be reviewed after, two, I think he said two or three years, but certainly in a lot quicker, a shorter time frame than would yeah. normally be the case. Yes, yeah, you're correct, Brian. Yeah, I think I heard two years, mm. which I think is an acknowledgement that, you know, we're we're at the cutting edge here. Um, you know, this is this is very new. Um, this is new for our business culture in Ireland. This is new for employers. This is new for employees. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the, what the data comes uh, comes back after that that review period. I will say that the international data that's coming back from the handful of countries that have this globally is that there's actually been quite a modest uptake of domestic uh, violence leave in those jurisdictions. And Why is that? Um, I don't know. Uh, again, you know, we're in a, a, yeah. a brave new world. But again, it's just for any Is it embarrassment? I don't know, Brian. Um, I really don't. I mean, it is exceptionally difficult for any victim survivor, I think, to come forward in any arena. Mm. And, you know, you can't blame them because as a country... But that goes back to the point that we were making right at the very start. You know, yeah. when we were talking about business owners creating yeah. a culture whereby... It's as supportive and comforting as any culture can be to allow victims just to have enough courage to go, I might need to take a couple of days off and here's why. Here's why, yeah. Um, look, we don't have a great track record in this country of supporting survivors. Mm. Um, we don't have a good track record of believing survivors. We have a great track record of um, supporting and enabling abusers. So you can't blame victim survivors for being reticent, you know. But, you know, it's back to what we were talking about, you know, um, the, the employer's responsibility being creating a culture. And that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Culture change takes time. Creating a culture within their organisations where people can talk about this so that victim, you know, people who work with them or for them who are impacted by domestic violence and abuse feel able and feel empowered to come forward and say, I need this support. I need this extra help. Can you sign? What can what what can the company do for me? What's in the policy? What's the due process? What's the framework within the policy? And then can you, you know, help me access external supports if I need them, you know? And again, that that brings in my 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 point about training, you know, so um, and going back to that point about training I mean we, so for example here at the station um, we've made huge strides and huge huge efforts to uh, uh, for example the EDI within the station um, are there ways for businesses or business owners be they large or small to access training for either members of staff or maybe parts of their HR team to help um, legislate and, and, and deal with this new piece of uh, support 
Yes, well, certainly in Amber, we've developed two training um, modules, Brian, that uh, local employers in Kilkenny and Carlow and their staffs can can access. So the first of those is a general, we call it domestic violence awareness training for your business. And that is for all staff, uh, top to bottom, and that's delivered online. Um, And then the second module is more specialist module. It's about half a day and we deliver that in person. And that is specifically for HR and people managers. And that's to help them with recognising the signs of abuse in the workplace mm. because they're not always what you think they may be and um, uh, as we spoke about effectively and sensitively handling disclosures as they come forward and then effectively referring to specialist supports. Yeah so there's a training and support out there as I always like to try and do when we when we have an opportunity to speak to to you guys at Amber Women's Refuge similar sorts of organisations um, I'd like to leave the last word to you to try and speak to anybody out there that might be listening this morning who might be in an abusive or coercive relationship um, you know they might not yet be at the point where they're thinking about applying for for you know domestic violence leave um, but I think it's important that they consider taking those first steps what would you say to somebody like that? Uh, what, what, what we always say Brian which is um, you're probably being told that what you're experiencing is your fault and it's not Um you are not alone, even though you may feel alone and you may have been deliberately isolated as a tactic to ensure that you your 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 access to support is is limited. But when you're ready to talk, um, we're here for you to, to listen to you. Um, so I'll give our 24 seven confidential helpline zero eight one eight four two four two four four. That's for any woman. Um, who is experiencing any form of domestic violence yeah. and abuse today. And I'll also give the Men's Aid Helpline, which is 01-554-3511 for any man who is experiencing domestic violence and abuse who's listening today. And it's interesting because um, we got a text in there, very glad that men are now being recognised as being abused too, because uh, for years it was a taboo subject and a lot of men... Uh, would will still not come forward mainly because of embarrassment, but uh, there are supports there available to both men and women suffering the abuse. The abuse, and of course, as always, KCLR. You can check out KCLR's webpage for lots of help and advice. KCLR. 96fm.com forward slash help all the help and advice is there as well. Um, Neve, as always, a pleasure in education. Um, talking to you and and the team at Amber's Women's Refuge. Uh, Thanks for joining us this morning on KCLR Live and we'll talk to you again um, hopefully in the not too distant future. That's uh, Neve Murphy from Amber Women's Refuge. Of course, all of the help and advice that you might need um, KCLR96FM.com forward slash help. Do check it out. We're going to take a short break. I'll be back with you just after these. KCLR Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art I MC Cinema. See fairgreen.ie. You welcome back to KCLR Live. Now, a report in yesterday's Irish Daily Mail uh, suggests that the sweet sound of bird song is enough to calm the weariest of souls. New researchers um, have found that areas less rich with bird species have a higher number of mental health hospital admissions. They analysed data from eBird, an online database of bird observers, um, by citizens and scientists to estimate diversity across, well, the US state of Michigan, but I'm sure that this, this survey and the data will hold up worldwide. And I was talking about this sound. Yes, the common wood pigeon. 
I, every time I hear it, it just reminds me of my youth. Holidays, summer holidays down in Wicklow. Camped out beside a hedgerow somewhere. And that's the sound that would always wake me up in the morning. Brings me back to EBA Youth, makes me feel relaxed. And now this data and supports all of that. But what is the most beautiful bird song in Ireland? I'm joined on the line now um, from Birdwatch Ireland by Niall Hatch to talk about what is his favourite bird song. Good morning, Niall. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Listen, bird song, we know anecdotally for years that many people find it quite relaxing now we've got the data to get up are you somebody who enjoys the relaxation of a bird song oh very much so very much indeed and I've been had the great privilege for, for many years now of leading dawn course walks during the, the spring and the summer ex- helping people to experience bird song immersing themselves in nature and I've long been convinced of the, the amazing therapeutic benefits of this, this special connection with nature we humans we have to remember we're animals like any other we evolve we didn't evolve in isolation we evolve with these sounds around us informing us that the things are right with the world that this is that the season we're progressing correctly we're tuned in to respond to bird song in a very special way and I think that sometimes people don't realise that the disconnect that so many of us now experience when it comes to nature actually does have um, detrimental effects on us. We know that certainly being around birds and other wildlife, immersing yourself in nature, it can really help to reduce stress it can really help uh, mental acuity uh, and also it helps with, with, with physical health as well because mm. you're walking, you're getting fresh air, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a win-win. I, 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 I never thought about it. That. It, makes, it makes complete sense really, doesn't it? You know, going back thousands of years when we were hiding in our cave hoping that we weren't going to be eaten overnight and the dawn arrives and the birds tweet away with the dawn chorus and we go "Ah, everything is all right in the world i never made that connection before Yes, I, I think that's a really intrinsic part of it. I think that people for, for, for generations have been hearing the birds who would realise that this was um, this was a sign of good weather or um, maybe they've more tuned into the fact that perhaps bad weather is on the way or they're in fact reacting to some sort of environmental uh, stimuli. So from that point of view, we humans, we tune in very much to bird song. Now, of course, the birds themselves don't care what we humans think of them. They're singing for their own purposes. They're singing because they want to attract a mate and to defend the territory. Just like oh. birds only sing in the, in the spring and the first part of the summer. This time of the year, the nesting season is more or less done for most species. Um, but it will coincide with the time of year when it was most important for us to be out um, farming and harvesting and gathering things in the wild during the time of plenty. And also bird song, it just so happens to be at a pitch that we hear relates to. You know, we're lots, of, lots of other mammals like cats and dogs, they tend to hear things at a higher pitch than we do. But same birds and humans occupy kind of the same hour space with oh, okay. same frequencies so it sounds like pretty like music to us and we humans being a musical species ourselves we kind of do admire that kind of virtuosity as well so I think the birds have a lot going for them and now when you're out conducting those dawn chorus walks what's the favourite bird song that you like to hear in the morning well, I, 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 I must admit, I like to hear the blackbird, because it's one of, the, one of our most common birds. It's very widespread, but it's also a really beautiful song. It's a very, very fluty, mellow song. It's one of the first birds to start singing in the morning. We know from, from scientific research, the birds with the largest eyes sing earliest in the morning. Uh, and the reason for that is that um, a bird isn't happy to sing until it, it, it can, has enough light for it to see danger coming. It's when it's singing, singing, it's giving away its location to every <laughs> predator in the neighborhood. So the bird with the biggest eye, it gathers the most light that they sing earliest. That's a good one. Probably my favorite, though, is I'm a big fan of the wren, a big fan of the robin. My favourite bird song in Ireland is probably a, a type of warbler called the black cap. It's a really melodic, beautiful song. Um, 
of black cat, but sometimes called the Irish nightingale. Um, it's a bird that tends to skulk away in bushes, so you, you'd hear it more than you'd see it. When you do see it, the, the male is sort of a, a grey, beige-coloured little sparrow-sized bird with a black cap on top of his head, and the female is the same because she has a rusty red cap on top of her head instead of the black. As with most of our songbirds, it's just the male that sings, and his song is just so it's so melodic and musical and accomplished. There's something really relaxing about it to me. And Niall, um, where do you conduct your walks? Do you conduct them all over the country at different times during the year, or are you based somewhere all year long? Well, so I myself, I live in North County Wicklow, and I've been involved for many years with the South Dolan branch and also the Wicklow branch of Birdwatch Ireland. So I love to do it at Birdwatch Ireland's East Coast Nature Reserve, which is in, in North County Wicklow. Um, Kalini Hill in South County Dublin is another favourite spot of mine. Glenda Lock in Wicklow Mountains National Park is great too. But there's lots of wonderful spots all around the country. But Birdwatch Ireland has 30 local branches. And in fact, one of the mo- most celebrated and popular Dawn Course events uh, of the whole year actually takes place in Jenkinstown Wood in Kilkenny. It's, it's a wonderful spot to go for for for, uh, for, for bird song and um, thanks to Pat and Mary Durkin and to the other volunteers from the branch for so many years they've really put on the map and I think a lot of people have experienced the joys of bird song there yeah well we've, we've had it confirmed the data confirms that that dawn chorus uh, does help with everybody's mental health and relaxation uh, Niall Hatch thanks for joining us this morning and uh, confirming what we sort of already knew thank you very much uh, for your thoughts on that bird song um, being a fabulous fabulous addition I've actually started I, I think I'm going to pull off a YouTube playlist of bird songs and play it on the car on my journey down here um, on the mornings it's definitely relaxation the wood pigeon my favourite lots of people texting me saying their favourites are Robins yes we touched on that a moment ago but the dawn chorus is absolutely fantastic and makes sense you know when you wake up in the morning and you hear the birds tweeting you know everything is all right in the world somebody else who's always up at the crack of dawn out speaking to people is our own Edwina Grace we've been talking about the art installation on the Osri Bridge um, being removed well Edwina tracked down the artists that originally um, made those fabulous panels um, all the way in Perth in Western Australia and she caught up with them earlier on the phone well contacted 84 uh, um, by Lou Chadwick and Oka. That was the firm of engineers that designed the bridge. They had four uh, big parapets uh, on each corner of the bridge, supporting parapets that you know just came up to support the bridge. And to them, they looked rather ugly. <laughs> so they, we were approached at the time to um, could we have a look at doing something that would uh, uh, disguise these big concrete, you know, uh, uh, parapets that were sticking above the bridge. And uh, so we took the opportunity immediately, of course, with our having, you know, spent so many hours in Point Abbey and surrounding ancient buildings um, to, over the years, in, in from the Waterford Art School, uh, studying all the it immediately came to us that it was a perfect opportunity to um, produce a mural uh, that would um, be based upon the whole history of the Ossery region, and that's that's what we set out to do using roughly, you know, a, a contemporary version of the the style, our own style, uh, but but derived from the ancient uh, artists who produced all those wonderful, highly stylized carvings in. Point, which have influenced us so much. And beautifully intricate yeah. work as well that you guys um, produced on the bridge. I, I imagine a lot of work and a lot of dedication went into to, uh, forming these panels. But we had done most of the research before in our you know visits because we went from the art school out on all these uh, 
uh, trips well, to... What about household heritage? Yeah, we were married and living in Ireland in all Cheek those Point. years. In Cheek Point, we were right on the meeting of the waters with the Baron and Shure, and yes. uh, with Dumbrody Abbey as well. So, you know, the whole surroundings... Well, directly opposite our house, we were 500 feet above the estuary of the Barrow, Knorr and Shure. That's uh, it was an incredible view. And we were on the other side in, uh, of the water. We were looking at Buttermill Castle, which was a Norman keep. And uh, we were there uh, some, you know, years. And then the whole lot collapsed into the sea, into the estuary, which was uh, quite a, an interesting spectacle. But, um, yeah, it, it's the, the, the whole area is so suffused with, uh, uh, with the history. And... Uh, so I think that's something very important. We do want to emphasise in this opportunity, if you like, you know, this opportunity to talk about it. It's, it's on one hand, it's a very personal thing for us as artists, you know, you can imagine, and uh, you know, you always feel like both that your heritage is left there behind you if you go out there. But you know, it's it's really not just about us as artists. You know, it, it is a personal thing, but from the Kilkenny's point of view. It's um, it's really about um, the heritage of the local area, which we always felt we were a part of by doing this. Yes. So it's sort of in, a, a bridge between maybe Joe Point Abbey and things that evolved later. And we see things, you know, now wonderful things have happened in Kilkenny in the meantime. And we just, um, we just, uh, I think when all this happened last week, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just, we just announced, just announced, we weren't given any consultation, which was a bit sad. But look, we'd like to think that was just lack of communication or things like that, you know, and it'll all be hopefully acknowledged now and redressed. Yes, well, they say, they're seeing, well, um, Tim, Tim Butler seems to be, to have the right attitude. He's, he has he has stated that they yeah. are looking at reinstating the artwork in, in another location. Uh, I think the, the Abbey, Abbey Precinct was, was mentioned. Uh, by the, and also, but we'd very much like to be part of that. You know, we feel that we we should select an area. We've been given yes. some opportunities, and we can work with people. We're not trying to superimpose anything on anybody, and we're not trying to obstruct Kilkenny County Council. We're really anxious to say that. You know, yes, we understand that there are things that have to be done at times, and yes. times change, and the traffic is built up, and there's all sorts of problems. But you know, it's just that we have this peremptory thing of. It was quite a shock, it was quite a shock, quite frankly, to only discover it at the very last moment, you know, without any... So, um, when you go, when you leave Ireland and you go to another country, in in the uh, middle 80s, when we left, it was before all the wonderful things happened in Ireland, with the Celtic Tiger and all these things, so we didn't have many opportunities. When we came to Australia, there was a country building its monuments and the more civic works, so we went into that whole area, you know, of public art and memorial monuments and commemorative works and we'd like to think that we've continued on with that. To, to us we haven't never left. It's a continuity. Yes. So especially it's not like something we've left behind, you know, it's not but like especially something. today when yeah. the world is interconnected so completely, you know, this yes, also bridges in something in the far past to us that we've left behind. We've, yeah. we've continued on in two ways. One stylistically as artists we're now doing, as we said, the history of Chinese science and technology in this major project in China and Hong Kong. You know, we feel that it's all stylistic, what is that? Yes. But from an Irish point of view, 
as Charlie and said to you, we we've done much more here for Irish culture connections and, and culture than we, we ever actually did in Ireland when we were there. You know, we never thought about it that much. No. We got those opportunities in the same way. No. And it became much more focused and pertinent, you know? Yes, of course, so, yeah, to carry it with us. But we see it as a continuity. It's all part of the same thing. And I imagine we, we coming back to the panels on Ossery Bridge, each piece of art is yeah you take in the surroundings you take in you know where it's going and how it might look visually and the impact it might have on people as you've heard Tim Butler on KCLR say the council is looking into ways of maybe replicating the work at a different location but this piece of art as it stood as you created it will look very different somewhere else so you're kind of hopeful that they will carry through on that that they will replicate the art but maybe to bring you into the consultative process in terms of how the artwork might be displayed in another location. Yes, absolutely. No, we have to. It's like um, I think the word is reimagining it. Yes. You know, we have to redesign it in another location. And if we were presented with some um, possible sites, yes, and we could work with other people on that. You know? We have we have six different ways we can see of of redoing it. You know, so it depends on. Uh, what's available as and, far and, as and being ancient history you know it's still relevant yes it's today. still relevant today yeah. and, and that's a major feature of what we did because we w- would like to feel that the artwork cast in concrete the way we had it would last a thousand years you know it would be it lasts at least as long as Cherpoint Abbey lasted and um, so that forms a visible physical connection you know over such this extraordinary period of time and history. So uh, that, that's a part of the artwork. That's a highly relevant factor as well. Um, it's not frivolous, you know. It's not ephemeral. It's a, it's a very, very fundamental and and long-lived, intended to be a long-lived work of art that would journey down through the centuries untouched unless somebody actually you to, to damage it you would have to take machine tools much the same as they did on the bridge when they demolished it but leaving that aside you know okay. as far as as far as wear and tear normal uh, um, usage is concerned such a work cast in such heavy duty reinforced concrete should last a thousand years so um, that's a huge and an important factor because it connects directly in to the ancient artifacts that surround uh, in the surroundings in Kilkenny. And you know, people are terribly interested. We're so very involved with the Australian Irish community here, yes. and all the heritage and so on. And people are really so interested. Yes, Finally, Joan and, and Charlie, if you've one message for the council and for the people of Kilkenny, what would it be? Well, that we would very, very much like to to, to work with them to produce a, a, another version of the artwork. The, the moulds are there. It would be relatively inexpensive. And uh, we think we could produce a very, very viable uh, alternative that would uh, take the, you know, the, it's an educational work, very, very strongly educational work as well, that uh, people can, you know, journey on into the future. Um, uh, and I don't think there'd be any problem um, doing this, you know, providing we get the right site. So 
that's a message. That, commitment. Yeah, commitment and and cooperation and uh, just uh, the dialogue. Just just open the dialogue with us, and we'll you know find a solution to to this because this is what we do. That's Charlie Charles Smith and uh, John Walshmith talking to our very only race all the way from Perth in Western Australia about the inspiration behind the art installation on uh, the Osry Bridge, Jarepoint Abbey, of course, being that original inspiration and what they would hope and see uh, for the reinstatement of the art into the future. Of course, that art uh, being removed already from the Osry Bridge site here in Kilkenny. It's eight minutes to 12 o'clock. We're going to take a short outbreak and we'll have some music for you just after that. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. You're very welcome back to KCLR Live. It is seven minutes to 12 o'clock. Often when an artist takes a break from producing new music for a number of years and they come back, you can be a bit disappointed with the new stuff. Not in Kylie's case. This is fantastic. It's her new release. It's called Padam Padam. That's the new release from Kylie Malog, Padam Padam. Bringing us almost to the end of today's show. Thanks to all our guests, Rebecca Reynolds, Director of Development Acting at the Butler Gallery, talking about their new um, exhibition kicking off on Saturday, The Art of Sport. Alice Doyle, Chairperson of the IFA Farm and Family and Social Affairs Committee, who's hoping to be elected uh, Deputy President of the IFA later on this year. Great to hear her thoughts. Always a pleasure to have Garda Andy Neal in studio for Community Assist. Neve Murphy from Amber Women's Refuge giving us real insight into the announcement yesterday from Rodrigo Gorman that uh, domestic violence leave uh, will be paid at 100%. Niall Hatch. Um, head of Birdwatch Ireland, and of course, hearing from the two artists who originally created the art installation on the Osry Bridge, John Walsh Smith and Charles Charlie Smith, joined our own Edwina Grace all the way from Western Australia, nevertheless. A pleasure having your company for you this morning. Uh, John Keane is up after the news at 12, and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 10. Take care. Have a great afternoon. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie.